Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a few of our uh, Harvard Business Review tips. And uh, we'll also be talking with Christina Sikiotis about a minute on innovation. We're going to look at innovation in Australia. Uh, right now, though, we've got a uh, David Young, who's the account manager from Markey Insurance. And we're going to have a chat with him. Good afternoon, David. Yeah, hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. And yourself? Great, thanks. And uh, it's good to have you in uh, place of Stephen this week. <laughs> Sorry? Good to have you in place of Stephen this yeah, week. Yeah, he's over in Europe at the moment having fun. <laughs> so he's delegated to you. Management liability, uh, yeah. uh, an interesting subject. Um, is it uh, something, or well, let's, let's, let's start off with what is management liability? Yeah, okay, Julian. Yeah, management liability these days, I mean, business owners have a, a lot of duties and responsibilities. Compliance issues for running a business are complex under various acts that exist today. For example, work, workplace health and safety, employment and environmental laws, etc. Management liability has become an essential part of a business insurance portfolio. Um, essentially, it provides the protection for directors, business owners, should they unintentionally breach their duties and responsibilities mainly with respect to managing of the business and complying with these laws. Uh, it also protects from actions of employees and other parties which may cause financial loss to a business. Well, how difficult or how different is this from just the public liability or professional indemnity insurance? Yeah, it is quite different. Um, public liability and professional indemnity policies are essentially covering the actual business activity for personal injury or property damage uh, they may cause to third parties, uh, mainly for incidents which arise from the provision of their products or their services. For example, a visitor slipping over or a product causing an injury. They're more the public liability type of claims. Uh, management liability is designed to protect uh, the directors and executive officers for alleged mismanagement of the business, which may cause a financial loss to others uh, rather than injury or damage as such. So uh, what sort of things then would management liability cover? Yeah, um, well, the policies have been evolving over about 10 or 15 years and uh, it is in addition or as an alternative to directors and officers insurance policies, which still do exist. Um, firstly, under a management liability policy, um, the insured will include the company or entity, uh, its directors, executive officers, and it also extends to employees. And some of the main covers or the areas where claims are occurring uh, are employment-related breaches, uh, for example, wrongful dismissal, discrimination or harassment, uh, employee crime and fraud, um, workplace health safety defence costs um, for alleged breaches. There's also cover for fines and penalties incurred uh, if they breach a statute or an act. Um, Shareholder-related claims, and another one that's a hot topic at the moment is cyber liability, uh, where a business may have their computer system hacked or held out for extortion. And it's also even cover for tax order costs um, if you had a, an order from the ATO. Well, so it's, it's interesting that management liability will cover owners for any mismanagement issues, or is there some that it won't cover? Yeah, um, yeah good point. Uh, unfortunately not. Um, like all insurance policies, they, they don't cover everything, uh, and there are exclusions. Uh, business owners still have to comply with acts and regulations, and 
and have protocols in place for you know, the employment, safety, manufacturing processes and pollution controls, etc. A management liability policy is there to provide some protection for an innocent breach. Uh, the policy will generally not respond and protect a company or an individual for criminal acts or who knowingly commits a breach of their duties and responsibilities. I guess in layman terms you could say the policy covers uh, accidental mismanagement where there's been an innocent mistake or an oversight in managing the business. Um, for example, if a business owner is aware of a defective machine uh, that has a safety hazard and then a worker is injured, uh, this will result in a work cover claim. Uh, but the employer may then find he's being charged or fined by work cover uh, for breaching the OHS Act. Uh, while management liability does offer cover for OHS defence costs, including fines and penalties, the policy may not protect them if the breach was considered criminal or willful misconduct, and it was reasonable the employer should have acted to avoid the injury occurring. So before we have a look at a couple of the examples, does that mean that even if it's something like the work cover you, one you've just mentioned, it would cover the court costs but not the actual fines that would be imposed? No, it, it can cover the fines and penalties as well, um, as well as providing the defence costs. Um, the, the key issue if this occurs as a result of an accidental mismanagement issue, where there's a, a deliberate misconduct, uh, they may find the insurance company may not defend them. Okay. Um, but it, it does cover defence costs and, and can extend to the fine and the penalty. Mm. All right. So, so let's have a look at a couple of the examples of, of claims that could be under that uh, policy. Yeah. Okay. Well, just other than the ones I've just mentioned there, um, with the shareholder ones, um, we have one recently. There was a managing director of a manage, manufacturing company he was sued for allegedly mismanaging the company. Uh, it was alleged he was entering into contracts which exposed the company. Uh, there were various cross claims for compensation, um, you know, which allegedly had a dramatic effect on profitability. Uh, the matter was successfully defended, however, the defence costs were 180,000 with legal costs. Hmm. Um, another one: um, harassment and bullying. Um, these types of issues are prevalent everywhere in society these days, and and can often be happening without the employer's knowledge. Um, to be honest, these types of claims are becoming common. Uh, in general terms, em employees will allege they've been bullied, harassed, or subject to sexual advances by fellow employees or managers or supervisors. And, and claims for this type of event um, you know, can range up to 500,000. It's not too unusual. Um, another one, um, wrongful termination. An employee was made terminated on the basis of his position was redundant. Uh, the employer then promoted someone else to his so-called redundant position. Uh, the ex-employee issued proceedings and the court found in the employer's favour and ordered the employer to reinstate him, plus awarded $50,000 in compensation. Um, and finally, another example of employee theft. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, an employee of a construction company in collusion with his wife and son, was stealing building supplies from the employer to build homes for other clients. Uh, when the marriage broke down, uh, she confessed, and the employee was arrested and charged with theft of over half a million dollars worth of stock over a two-year period. Wow. Well, it seems that management liability does cover many things. Uh, is it hard to get or expensive? Um, not really. Um, there are now around eight or ten main insurers offering the cover, 
Um, so it is generally fairly easy to obtain, uh, especially if the business hasn't had any claims. Um, premiums are fairly affordable. Um, for business with a turnover of less than $2 million it can come in around about a cost of $1,500. Um, the main uh, premium rating factors are the, the type of business, uh, the turnover and the number of employees. So, so as with all sorts of insurance, it's really looking at the, at the risk involved, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, there's uh, uh, a lot of insurance policies out there to respond to the risk that a business have. Um, management liability is another one that can, you know, just provide some protection for a director and a business owner. And I think it would be particularly important for a lot for a lot of the not-for-profit type organisations where you have a part-time directors and things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, a prerequisite for a, a non-profit organisation. Um, they'll call it more association liability, but it's the same yeah. sort of thing, same yeah. principle as protecting the, the office bearers. And I think if you're going to take on that position, you, you definitely want to make sure you have uh, office bearers or management liability policy in place. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, David. Uh, maybe we'll have a chat with you again another time. Yeah, OK, Julian. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. OK, bye-bye. And David Young there from Markey Insurance, the the value of management liability insurance because so many things can go wrong and uh, obviously uh, we do make mistakes from time to time. And it's 22 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to pop over to Christina Sikiatis for our discussion on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well. And yourself? Not too bad. So, technology, technology uh, considered. <laughs> I'm having challenges with technology today too. <laughs> yeah, it must be universal today then. So uh, innovation, let's have a, a little talk on innovation. And, and uh, you, you went to this conference the other week uh, and particularly innovation in Australia. Yes, and it was very interesting listening to a lady by the name of Dana Hochstein speak. She's from she's from Israel, um, and Dana's title is the General Partner, Head of Investor Relations at Our Crowd, which is a leading crowdfunding platform um, focused on Israeli startups. So, and it was interesting that they were one time named Investment of the Week in the in the Wall Street Journal. So they have some some great credibility. Um, but the other thing is Israel is is at the top of um, investment as far as startups go, and she actually gave us some facts and figures about Australia at that, at, at, you know, during the conference. So, our government infrastructure supports big business more so than it does small business, and I think there's quite a few small business operators that, that would agree with that. I'm sure there's some big businesses that won't agree with that, um, but small business, in fact, in Australia is half the private sector employment employers. So of all the employment in the private sector, half of it comes from small business, not big business. Mm. Companies less than a year old account for over 50% of job creation. So wow. that's no small, no small number, really. 50% of jobs created come through companies that are less than a year old, which I found quite startling, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, and but what she, she went on to discuss the fact that our startups when we compare them to Israeli startups, aren't audacious enough. Our survival rates are much lower. So, for example, of Australian startups, 40% of them, compared to Silicon Valley startups, raise raise or, or are raised in the first um, in the first year. year. So, yeah. in the early stages, we've got we've got 40% as as opposed to Silicon Valley, who have the 100%. Scale up, 1%. So, of our scale ups. 
we have 1% of what Silicon Valley does. Mm. One in 20 Australian startups survive to profitability. One in 12 in Silicon Valley do. So they're quite, they're quite um, remarkable figures. Uh, figures. Yeah. So, and then if you think about the whole um, culture and everything that happens in Silicon Valley and the fact that you are there in a group, you're all there for the same reason, there's a purpose, the collaboration, the combinations of everything that happened over there, it really isn't surprising. When we think of, um, she also gave, went on to give some, give some other um, interesting stats, which I, I wouldn't mind sharing with you. Mm. Australia, with 26 in venture capital deals, Israeli is first. This was really unimpressive. Australia is 65th in science and engineering grads. Israeli wow. is first per capita in the world. So we all know the importance of science and engineering and that, that kind of thinking mm. um, when it comes to particularly technology, but, but any kind of creative thinking um, and all the creative thinking that we don't actually attribute to science and engineering, but that is definitely there. Australia was 48th in the highest, um, in the high and medium tech output. Israeli was, Israel was 4th. In expenditure on R&D and particularly business R&D, Australia was 15th. Israel was first. And another interesting um, fact and figure that she put forward was Australia spends $4.50 on startups per capita. Israel spends $120 mm-hmm. on each, on, per capita as far as startups go. And then, so, you know, there's no point pointing out all the problems unless you come up with some kind of um, solution that, that will aid, yeah, solutions. So, in her opinion, and where Israel has it over Australia, she says, we need to improve our investor culture, which I'm sure there's lots of people in Australia that would agree, but then, you know, we are smaller numbers over a greater amount of territory, so we don't have the, the capital, the working capital, as much as other countries do because of our vast area. area. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to address capital availability, which, yes, we, we know that we need to do that. I'm not quite sure what the perfect answer for all kind of um, start-ups, scale-ups, businesses is around that. We need to align our regulatory system, which I think would be a really um, good thing to look at. So everything that, that, that kind of lines up as far as businesses, we're a bit all over the place sometimes, mm. or, or I find as a small business operator, we're a bit all over the place. Things don't line up. Things aren't equal for everybody. Um, support from big business, she said, could be a potential um, investment of capital. And if you think about it, what we, we tend to rely a lot on government for um, support for small businesses and scale-ups and start-ups. And we also rely on um, the government for a lot of other other monetary things. If a, if a big business got behind a small business, almost like a mentoring um, well, situation, a, yeah. a capital situation, an investment situation, there could be something. And in the whole scheme of collaboration and looking at things and, and ways forward, that might be something that we could actually devise our own model around. Because um, my head was kind of going... How can we do it? Potentially, yeah. And, and also going in, in slight different direction to what, hers, to what her model was, thinking in terms of what our culture and everything is here. Big one, and we know it, and we, we keep saying it all the time, is boosting education. Mm. And, you know, we're talking education from primary through to executive, through to beyond... Um, I know we've got big moves on at the moment to, to try and um, get, you know, the interest in maths and science, the STEM, STEM education in schools, because we're losing engineers, we're losing science, we're losing maths. Um, but the, the good thing that she did say was that entrepreneurship can be taught. Yes. I'm not sure how much the resilience and the perseverance and everything is taught or if that's innate. It'd be really interesting to do a study uh, on that. But I know um, from experience that we have a lot of... 
token entrepreneurship courses available to us in this country. There, and some of them are just business courses remodelled. Um, there's a couple of really good attempts at, at or really good, um, not attempts, but results from um, from putting together entre- entrepreneurship courses. Hopefully we'll see some of those benefits shortly. Mm. Um, so the, the proof in those remains to be seen. But I know we have a lot of token ones because I did quite a bit of research into this a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our entrepreneurship courses were quite tokenistic. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time again. And uh, got a little bit longer today. Um, we did. We, we, did. we do have the, uh, the, sh- the shark tank over here now. We might have a discussion on that one week. I, okay, let's do that because there's some interesting things coming out around the pitch and everything around that as well. Yeah, great. Thanks. Have a good have a good week. You too, Julian. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiatis there with some great ideas on comparing us with other countries and seeing how innovation is supported. Well, time to have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips, and this one I thought was a very valuable one. Make difficult conversations less daunting. Difficult conversations are inevitable. But if you manage them properly, you can keep your relationships intact. First, don't think of conversations as difficult. You only feel nervous and upset. Instead, frame it in a positive, less binary way. You're not giving negative feedback. You're having a constructive conversation about development. It can help to jot down key points beforehand, but don't write a script. Try to see the other person's point of view. Ask yourself, what is the problem? And what does the other person think is the problem? If you aren't sure, acknowledge that you don't know and ask. Then deliver the tough news in a courageous, honest and fair way. Just don't play victim. The worst thing you can do is ask for sympathy by saying things like, I feel so bad about saying this or this is really hard for me to do. So a couple of interesting points there, I think, and we all have those difficult conversations from time to time. And what about this one? Make a small change to disconnect from work. We know that working excessive hours leads to exhaustion and impaired judgment, yet it's still so hard for many of us to disconnect. Make it easier by thinking small. Rather than trying to modify all your work habits, find one thing you can change about your behaviour and start there. For example, try leaving your smartphone in another room when you get home at night so you won't be tempted to check your work email. Or spend a few minutes learning how to program the emails you send in the evening to arrive first thing in the morning. That way you're not sucked into back and forth with colleagues at all hours. Or find a new enjoyable activity to fill your time. Take up biking, join a sports league or sign up for baking lessons. A couple of interesting points to disconnect from work. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina Sigiotis. We'll discuss interview techniques with Craig McGregor and some other business and legal news that may, may affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as C.S. Lewis once said... Uh, yeah, you never, you're never too old to set another goal or dream a new dream.